This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. Prepare for wizardly combat. I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. What manner of man are you that can summon up fire without flint or tinder? I am an enchanter. Welcome to Spellburn. A podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. And Welcome to the premiere episode of Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. Pull up a chair, grab some weird dice, and let's play. Um, my name is Judge Jim, and I'll be your host, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, both Dungeon Crawling experts, Judge Job. Hey, everybody in Internet land. And Judge Jeffrey. Hello, everybody. This is our premiere episode. We're going to jump right into it with our first segment, Tavern Talk. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. F*** that Tavern talk. Okay, since this is our first episode, I thought we'd just start by kind of introducing ourselves and uh, talking about uh, who we are and what we do. And uh, we'll start with you, Judge Job. I'm Judge Job, a.k.a. Job Bittman. I am a lifelong gamer, and um, I'm also a freelance RPG and uh, I'm sorry, RPG writer and game designer. Um, I've written two things now for Goodman Games. One that people who are fans of DCC RPG might be familiar with is the uh, mystery map contest that Goodman Games put out, Free RPG Day in 2012. I was actually the winner uh, of that with my entry, uh, "The One Who Watches from Below." Yeah, which is actually I think uh going to come out in print i'm pretty excited about that so hopefully it happens we'll see and actually before i won that i, I um uh, met doug kovacs and harley stroh at gen con last year and game with them a bit i told them how a little bit of credits behind my name you know i've written for wizards of the coast and kobold press and uh you know if you could tell joe goodman i really want uh joseph goodman i really want to write for goodman games um that'd be really cool so I didn't really think anything was going to come of it, but I got a call from Joseph, or I'm sorry, an email from Joseph Goodman uh, asking for for pitches, um, and and this was before the what was the October 31st cutoff for um, for the mystery map adventure. So uh, I sent him three pitches, and he and he picked one, and um, I got a contract, and actually wrote something before the whole mystery map thing even happened. I, I, I'm not sure when that's going to come out, but. Um, but I've got a couple things uh, brewing for GCC RPG you know, that I'm excited about. Um, all right, uh, Judge Jeffrey, how about you? Uh, I'm Judge Jeffrey, uh, known as Jeffrey Tadlock. Uh, a longtime gamer, started gaming in the early 80s, started out with the Moldvay basic D&D set. <sighs> uh, <laughs> yes, yes, the Moldvay box. 
started gaming with that, uh, moved on to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, played 1st Edition, 2nd Edition, took a little break in the mid-90s to late-90s, and came back to gaming with D&D 3.5, played that for quite a while, and then moved on into Pathfinder, and over time just uh, started wanting that old-school feel. Dungeons & Crawl Classics is probably actually what reeled me back in to a degree, uh, the, bought the book for the artwork, and uh, next thing you know, I was back dabbling in all sorts of different OSR-type systems and whatnot. I founded the Iron Tavern blog. I write there. I do post up some Dungeon Crawl Classics content there, patron write-ups and traps, and even a, I wrote a Dwarven Cleric class up there. I dabble in freelance writing and mapping, too. Somehow mapping has become something that people have been seeking me out for a little bit. And then I run an online DCC RPG game uh, once a week. been doing that since about July 2012. So DCC RPG has been a great game for me, and uh, excited to be here. Okay, and uh, I'm Judge Jim, also known as Jim Wampler, art director for Gygax Magazine and sort of free-floating idiot behind the webcomic Marvin the Mage. Uh, I started, I'm class of 79, I started with, uh, <laughs> I know, I'm old. Uh, the uh, I ran into some college kids in 79 that were just transitioning from the original Brown books to, they had the Monster Manual, so they were... Uh, going over to AD&D, and they taught me how to play, and then uh, my brother and I got the uh, Holmes Basic set and went straight from that to first edition AD&D, and I have it played at least to try it out every single edition since even 4E and uh, D&D Next. Like the rest of you, I found Dungeon Crawl Classics, and it just struck some kind of chord in me because I didn't think I would ever get the feeling like when you open that Holmes box up for the first time and pull those dice right. you've never seen before out. What the hell are these? And I, I got that feeling all over again with the Dungeon Crawl Classics, even to the new strange dice feeling. That's one of the things that's just wonderful about DCCRPG. As far as me starting out in gaming, um, my older stepbrother was, uh, came back from college one year, and he, he came back with the, uh, the Holmes box set. God, I'm, I was probably eight years old or something like that. Definitely in the early '80s, I would I just would go through the book and I would just repeatedly make make characters and uh, dream up all the adventures that I could you know all the adventures that my characters were having. But I never actually played it with anybody. It's kind of sad. <laughs> but I played it for years, you know, in my room by myself, creating characters. I had like uh, I think I had like B two into the unknown. No, no, I'm sorry. B2, keep, uh, what is it? Which one is Keep on the Borderlands? B1 or B2, but. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it's I mean, B2 because uh, something into the unknown is B1. Right, yeah, yeah. Into the unknown is B. Yeah, so I had B2, Keep on the Borderlands, uh, which, you know, is probably like a later one. I just, I had, I had the Red Box um, books, and I had like the, uh, I had the Red Box book, and I had the, had the Blue Homes, like basic, inside the, 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 um, the Holmes box set. Yeah, that was just like my Bible. I would carry that with me everywhere. And I would rent it for my, my, some of my friends, my little brother. But, you know, we were totally not playing it right whatsoever. Well, since Gary's advice was uh, play the way you want to play, were you playing it wrong? But, no, I guess not. Yeah, I think we all had our own take on it back then. You know, I mean, I know, you know, it, I think we all had our own take on the rules at the time. And back then, no one really gave you a hard time for that, I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like before the internet, you know, so you couldn't just express an opinion and have ten people scream at you about how wrong you are all the time. <laughs> exactly. You just had to pass the muster with, like, your brother or your siblings or something. <laughs> yeah. Or house rule. Okay, well, um, 
the next session of the show in the future will be summon email where we'll answer listener emails. Uh, this being the first episode, obviously we don't have any of those, but you can contact us and send us emails. Uh, the email address is theband at spellburn.com, and you can uh, send us email directly to that address or on our forums, which will be at osrgaming.org. And that'll take us to Mighty Deeds. Mighty Deeds! <laughs> And uh, Mighty Deeds is going to be the part of the show where we talk about whatever we're talking about from the player perspective. And this being the first episode, I thought we would just kind of talk in general about the game to uh, introduce it to people who maybe are not familiar with it, who somehow got to this podcast from uh, uh, an alternate dimension. Talk about our favorite things about it, because we've all played it. Joe, if, if you had to pick one thing that's your very favorite thing about this game, what would that one thing be? Wow. That's really tough, Jim, because there's so many things that are unique about it that that I really enjoy. We'll just rattle off some of your favorites. Okay. So uh, probably number one thing would be, you know, the luck mechanic, which I just think is is completely brilliant. So one of your basic stats in the game, one of your six basic stats is uh, called luck. Basically, you can use uh, the points that you have in luck to increase your rolls, and it works for different for different classes. Uh, for example, the thief, uh, if he burns some of his luck, he he rolls a, a certain die. I don't know, it's a D three, I think. It might increase as as the thief levels, but anyway. So you know you can roll that to uh, increase your die your check roll. Uh, anyone can just burn off luck straight as points. If you're a halfling, you're actually a luck battery. You can give luck points to other people, and you actually regenerate luck after you after you rest. So it's a it's a limited resource. It it plays really well at the table. I that's probably the number one thing. Well, and and with the halfling, what you touched on is that in Dungeon Crawl Classics, it's race as class. So halflings are both a race and a class, and that's one of the class abilities. Yeah, and that's not one of my favorite things, but I mean. It harkens back to uh, basic, so I like it. I think it's pretty boss. I, I describe it to people as racist class, except it's fixed, so it kicks ass now. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I think it works really well with Dungeon Crawl Classics. Cause I'm, I'm again not, not a huge fan of the, the the racist class, but with Dungeon Crawl Classics, it just they are cool. Like being a halfling is cool, or being a dwarf is cool. I don't know. It brings that the extra little features to it that I think work well with it. One of our players in our campaign that just got his first level as a dwarf suddenly discovered what his abilities were now and just ran amok with them in our last game. It's, I, I guess he hadn't read the rule book, so he just didn't know till we told him what he was going to be able to do. And he's like, oh my god, you're kidding. But uh, Jeffrey, do you, ha- do you have a single favorite thing you'd pull out or just a whole bunch of them? I have several favorites, but if you're going to corner me on one favorite, I, you know, I think I'd almost go the funnel, the zero-level funnel. I mean, is the, the when I first heard the game for people you know that not familiar with it, the zero level funnel is you start this game and you usually have three or four zero level characters that sort of go through a meat grinder per se, and you're expected to lose them, and whoever survives that becomes your your character you continue on with. I was pretty skeptical of that when I first started hearing about the game before I picked up the book. I was like, ah, you know, I was I was used to the you know, I get my point by and I get build just the guy I want and that's who I want. And I was thinking I had this randomly generated 
I don't even know who's going to survive aspect was a little odd. But I found that people have a very strong attachment to the people that survive, stronger than most people will get, it seems like, from building your character from scratch. So the zero-level funnel, I think, is a, you know, I think a very strong part of the game and, and really brings a lot to the game as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, I've evangelized this game like crazy, and that character funnel is one of the pushbacks along with the weird dice, but every single person I've gotten to actually sit down and play the game has loved it and stuck with it. I, I like what you said because the, the the difference is, and it's a style difference in whatever style or whatever game you want to play, is, is if you're having fun, then you're doing it right. But there are different styles. So like, you know, a Pathfinder character where you've spent 30 or 40 minutes creating this whole background and then you sit at the table and introduce yourself, as opposed to after you've been through the character funnel in a two or three session things with your level zero and gotten level one, you've created the backstory. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, I don't know. For your guy who started out as a dirt farmer with a pitchfork or something. Yeah. I mean, the stories that my group tells from some of their zero levels, you know, when we lost a, a wizard a while back, and it was one of the ones that had been through from the very beginning. We were sitting around third level. And, you know, after the game, people are on Google uh, Plus and Twitter, you know, mourning the loss of this character that started out as just a zero level, randomly rolled, rolled guy, but surviving that funnel and as the character's built their background to the funnel it was just you know i think it's a very neat way to get up to speed quickly with the game get your characters created quickly but and all of a sudden you find yourself with a strong attachment to them it just makes the rest of the game more fun in my opinion i'm in the camp of when it when it first came out i did not like it and i was like level zero i'm never going to run this this is silly in fact i didn't i flipped through sailors on the starless sea and uh, I just didn't buy it. I was like, I'm not buying a level zero g- adventure. This is this is ridiculous. I'll, I'll never run this at the table. This won't work. Players won't like it. Boy, I've really changed my my opinion on that. I mean, level zero is, is the most important part of starting up a campaign, I think. Of course, Harley Stroh's adventure, uh, Sailors on the Starless Sea, I think is completely amazing. It's brilliant. I, yeah. I, we uh, are... Uh, our little group when we started were about half players from something at our uh, local ga- game store, Gateway Games, called the Retro D&D League, where they've been playing through all the old editions of D&D. So it was about and, – and young guys, you know, 14, 16, mid-20s, half the table was them and half the table were people who came straight from Pathfinder Society. So there was a little bit of mishmash of getting used to the spirit and the style of Dungeon Call Classics. So we took a little longer to get through Sailors of the Starless Seas. We killed 47 characters before we finally got through it. I know. Wow. <laughs> we depopulated our home village by about 15%. But when it was done and everybody got on the page and, and got got onto it and we finally got that guy at the bottom of the thing, you'd have thought we were ready for Valhalla. We felt so good about it. Yeah. Like you earned it, you know? Well, I guess if I, I, I went with the what's your very favorite thing because I have one. Um, I have a long history of playing Magic users. Um, I, I, I try and spread out and play other classes, but Magic users is, are, are my bread and butter in uh, role-playing games. And I'm just in love with the more Vancean than Vancean Magic system that uh joe and harley and michael curtis built into this game where every single spell works differently and very undependably one of the things we'll we'll get to sooner or later is this game is power gamer proof you can't munchkin this game because of the randomness that's built into a lot of the rules where the results swing can swing drastically in both directions and the magic system being that way just reminds me so much of the old pulpy 70s fantasy stuff where every spell has a a spell check you have to roll and that's the 
that's the number one reason I want a halfling in the party is for when we're in the middle of a battle and I rolled low enough on my spell check that I'm going to forget the spell and I just need to nudge that roll one point. That's why I'm best friends with the halfling. <laughs> yeah, very helpful in those situations. Well, you know, what what is it about... I, I, I'm going slightly off topic here, but what is it about Dungeon Crawl Classic? It's because it's, it's not... I don't know, it's almost like... At Neo OSR or something. I mean, it's it's the design of the game is definitely um, heavily influenced by by uh, OSR, but it's it's not a clone. You know what what is DCC RPG? Well, it's a retro clone only by sheer technicality in the presence of the OGL. It's really its own game. I mean, don't you guys think? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, 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 definitely. But well, for, for example, the the. Sp- the the spirit of it is very OSR old school, and 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 the flavor of it is more like basic D and D or O D and D. But the mechanics are a stripped down version of D twenty and uh, a lot like three point five, right? Well, I, I think so a little bit, but I mean it's more like three O, like where you know with 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 boiling down the saves to like the three saves. Um, right. Instead of a million skills and feats, it's all mighty deeds. Whatever you can imagine. If the DM allows it, you make the roll. Right, but I just meant like, you know, you, you boiling down the reflex, the saves to reflex, um, fortitude, and will. Right on. I think you hit it with the, the spirit of it is the old school way, but the mechanics are, are not. For, you know, that, that's bringing the modern to it, but in a spirit of the old, old school playing style. I personally have re- fallen in love with the old, for, like, first edition camera world, uh, Moldvay Cook D&D, because the rules are so simple. And uh, I, especially the older I get, I have less and less patience for uh, really, really crunchy rules and rules where the rule book is, you know, tiny type and three columns on some Photoshop background that my eyes have difficulty parsing. Dungeon Crawl Classics is pretty crunchy, but it's the it's um you I mean you guys design games. There's there's annoying crunchy and there's you read it crunchy and you go, Well that makes sense, that works, and you like it. And Dungeon Crawl Classics is full of that. Yeah, I mean just going back to the the racist class, that's just boiling down like class to just a very simplistic level. Dak Ultimac has made some great, you know, extra classes in, in uh, crawl fanzine. Um, oh, but, you know, crawl fanzine, golf club <laughs> for that thing. I love it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. But uh, but the in the the core race, uh, the core classes slash races, they're just simple and they they just they have everything you need. And I just like the just the simplicity of it. You know, that's just really boiled down to the core, and uh, it's it's easy to understand. Um, each of the classes works slightly differently. Like they each use luck differently. I don't know. It just makes sense to me. Um, hey, but just for fun, let's go around, and if we were to each individually, just for our own campaign homebrew, add a class, what would we add? Because everybody's done it at this point. I mean, I did the uh, Dwarven Cleric is what I added, and I've actually posted a Dwarven Cleric at the Iron Tavern, but that was just something, I, whenever I play Dwarves, I always tend towards this Dwarven Cleric type thing, and so so that's a class I added sort of to the race. To uh, That's what I, I added when I did it, was a Dwarven Cleric, which that's, I thought fit well. That's a good one. How about you, Joe? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would say Ranger, but, you know, it's already been done very well. So if it's something that, you know, no third parties have added. Um, well, no, I mean, it's your, your campaign. You do t- steal it from wherever you want. 
<laughs> yeah, I would just rip off the Ranger that was in Crawl, what was it, four or five? I think I would go with Gnome Illusionist just to annoy people. <laughs> <laughs> and because I like to write spells. Okay, well, um, let's uh, flip it around and we're going to go to Mercurial Magic now. Great all seeing eye of Agamotto! You must come to my aid! Doesn't weird stuff happen when spells are messed up? I don't feel anything. So that could have gone better. Material magic. Okay. Mercurial Magic is the opposite. We're going to talk about things from the GM or judge perspective for just this first episode. That's a real easy one to talk about. I mean, Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG, how do you run it? Where do you get stuff to run the game with? Resources and tips. The first place to go, uh, if you want to... Well, let's start with this. Uh, Just as an overall thing, if you're thinking about picking this game up and, and running it for your group, you already know how to do this. It's, it's nothing that's any kind of in, in stark contrast to D20 or D&D or Pathfinder. Nothing that different. No, the, the basics are all there. D20, you know, D20 roll for most everything. Saves are very similar. You know, saving throws against various things. So, yeah, I think there's, it's definitely true that don't get intimidated by the large book at, the, at its core. If you're familiar with the D20 games, then you're going to pick this up and the nuances relatively quickly. And don't be scared of the dice either, right, Joe? <laughs> Well, you know, collecting the dice is the funnest part. I, I've, I've actually, I have this little bit of a tradition that I do where um, I like to trade dice with people. So I constantly am going out and looking for strange dice that uh, I can trade with people. So I've got some some pretty cool people who, uh, did, like game designers who I respect in my uh, dice bag. So, for example, I have uh, I have got uh, Doug Kovacs D6. From uh, from his um, Marvel superheroes, uh, you know Jeff Grubb box set from when he was a kid. Uh, I've got like uh, you know Logan Bonner's uh, some dice from him, some Chris Sims, some other people that um, I've gone and, and traded dice with. So I'm a huge dice fan. Um, every time I go to Gen Con, I go you know obviously to uh, Luzachi's uh, booth and I, I whatever is just the weirdest dice that I can get. I get so that I can trade them with people and entice them to give me their cool dice. You know, like, ooh, look at this sparkly D20 that's only numbered 1 to 10. Um, you know, give me some of your cool dice that, that uh, you might not want to part with. It's so funny so, you said that because I am the world's worst D20 roller. And uh, I, um, <laughs> and so the, I, I've got one D20 that will actually roll pretty decent most of the time, and it's from my uh, – Gamma World First Edition. I still have that set of those really terrible crumble die that TSR put out. So the very first Undercrawl Classics game, as soon as it got tight, I rolled my regular D20. It crapped out on me, so I went and got you know the good one. And I rolled the, the like you said the D20 that's just numbered one to zero, and my D6 where I know whether it's high or low. And and the kids were all like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm making my spell check. That's what I'm doing." <laughs> Yeah, so if you if you game with me at uh, at Gen Con, ask me about trading dice because I've got some kick-ass D30s that I um, hand inked myself. I won't I won't give up my blue D30. It's it's uh, bright blue with yellow lettering. And actually, Lou Zochi gave me a really good tip. Uh, was it last year? Um, 
he told me, uh, you know, when you ink the dice yourself, use, uh, use, use Sharpie, uh, poster paint, extra fine, uh, tip markers. And uh, before that I was, uh, and the poster paint with the water soluble ones before that I was using, I was doing the crayon thing and it, and it really doesn't work out that well. And then before I talked to him, I, I had actually, someone had told me to use poster paint. I was using like the oil based ones and they're, they're terrible because you know, if you make a, a mistake, you can't get the oil off the oil-based paints. They're just there forever. So, well, you're you're on. If I don't, because uh, I'm on a Grail quest for D7, I can't find one anywhere. And if I don't find one at North Texas Con here later this week, then I'll meet you at Gen Con and we'll swap. Okay, yeah, I've got uh, I've got the white and the black D7s with the uh, with like the big. Uh, well, whatever. I'll show you what I have. You're, you're thinking yeah. about playing or running this game, and you don't, uh, for some reason, you can't get the uh, expensive Luzachi dice. Nobody carries them around you. What would you do? I'd get the well, uh, Purple Sorcerer app, probably. That, that's the easy easy way, which is the application that you can install on Android phones or tablets or iPad phones and tablets put out by Purple Sorcerer. It's got a bunch of other tools with it, and uh, it's got the dice roller that will let you do it pretty easily. And it's free. And, yes, and it's free. Very important. Well, that that app is crazy cool anyway because besides the uh, weird dice, it's got uh, spell results and um, spell corruption results and things like that built just built into the app. And don't they have another one that will generate characters for you? They've got the yeah. online character generator that will do the zero levels and the even higher levels now. That's yeah, cool. I use it all the time. I, usually, I tend to run a lot of one-shots. You know, I, I go to their I go to their level zero and I print out like, like twenty pages, cut them up real quick with my guillotine cutter. Even the level ones, I print them out for for games. Just I don't have time to uh, spend a lot of time in character generation when I'm trying to write. So, so that's it for this being classified solely as some kind of OSR game. Because if you can show up at the table with your smartphone and roll thirty sided or twenty four sided dice, you're not old school. You're you're, you're in the twenty first century. <laughs> Yes, you are. Okay, and there are uh, character sheets and reference sheets? Yep, there's character sheets from Goodman's site, and then there's reference sheets from the... Oh, I can't remember the name of the site now. It has whole monsters. Yes. People them with monsters.blogspot.com, and we'll post links to everything we talk about on the website. So if, you, if, you, if we mumble through it, you just go to the website, spellburn.com, and you can get all these links. Yeah, I, I love the uh, the people them with monster. Who was that? Jer- Jeremy Durham is I think that is his name. But I love those character sheets. I have uh, or, I'm sorry, those reference sheets. I have uh, I don't know about a stack of twenty right now. I, I hand them out as I go, but I've got a stack of twenty of the uh, the booklet format reference tables reference sheets. Yep. There's that great. Uh, someone did a really good cover too. I can't remember if it was on his site or if I found it on the Goodman Games forums. Yeah, I did like. Uh, Gray covers printed out with with that awesome Rosloff artwork on the cover. You know, I just hand out all those sheets to everybody. I'm like, okay, you don't need to know anything about the game. Uh, I'll teach you right now. Just you know, flip to page 18 for you know to roll your critical table or whatnot. So it's a really great resource. Yeah, there are several people who have made character sheets, but his are my favorite. You made character sheets? I think so. I, I hope I've got the right guy. The character sheets were there. Uh, both, I mean, level zero, and they're four up, so you can have your four red shirts, and uh, uh, character sheets that are by race or class, so that the specific, the character sheet's customized to your race or class. We'll have to, we'll have to figure that out. If it's not people, then with monstersblogspot.com, it's, it's somebody else. There's one, I mean, there's a lot, they're all good, but the, those are my favorite. 
You know, actually, on his site, too, he has some great, uh, like, one-page spell sheets, too, where he, he took some of the spells that, were, that fell across multiple pages, and if you have the PDF of the core uh, rulebook, and uh, he formatted them so they fit on a single page, which is great, especially if you're, you know, introducing new players to the game. You just print the, the one-sheets out and, like, okay, here's your spell, here's your spell, here's your spell. Boom, let's go. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier if you have them printed out instead of having to flip through the book. Talking about uh, player and uh, judge resources, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Dak Ultimax Crawl fanzine and give it a big prop because I love that fanzine. Yeah, definitely a great, great zine with all sorts of uh, lots of cool rules. And then, like I said, the character class issue they did was awesome. Yeah, there's some great stuff out of the Crawl fanzine. Yeah, we, hopefully we'll have him on the show sometime. We, we definitely should have him on the show. Okay. You want to address any sort of the general concerns we've all heard? I mean, we've talked about the weird dice and sort of the rules and mechanics. How about just, you know, the rule book itself, which is like $40 retail, 60 if you buy one of the special edition covers. And, uh, I mean, you could kill somebody with that thing. It's the size of a phone book. <laughs> right. Well, I think the the price for the book is awesome. You know, forty bucks for the the rule book. But I do know I've heard people say, "Oh, it's so big. There's so many rules and everything like that." When really, so much of it's one artwork. I mean, just a tremendous amount of artwork in there. So that's taken up a, a good portion of the book. And really good artwork too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and when I first got into it, I bought it because so many people are saying buy it for the artwork alone. And even if you don't play it, it, it was still a good purchase. So. Uh, so yeah, the artwork and it's awesome. And then you know, I, I've said that over and over. I was just like, just buy it for the artwork. I actually, I keep one of my core books right by the side of my bed, and I just like all the time. I'm like, oh, I have a couple three minutes. I just pick it up and just look at the artwork. And that, it seems like I always see something new that I didn't notice about something. I'm sure, in, I'll in, miss in somebody, piece. but I mean, you've got art by Errol Otis, uh, Jeff Easley, Jim Rosaloff, Peter Mullen, Doug Kovacs, who I love. That, yeah, that, it's. Lots of great art in there. Lots. Of Sorry, I mean it derail you, Jeffrey. Oh no, totally fine. I mean, it's it's the art is. I don't. It's definitely not. Don't want to gloss over the art because it's it's really significant. Uh, but I think the other things that contribute to the larger size of the book, which aren't necessarily bad things, is the print size and it's readable. <laughs> so that's good. You know, it's not all crunched down. And then the spell tables. I mean, that face it. That's what consumes a large amount of space. It's the spell tables. But when it comes down to it. When you're a you know a first level character, you're only print not you're only referencing a handful of those spells at any given time. So it's not like you have to have commit the book to memory to play it. It's more charts to look up when you do your your spell checks. So and if you get the PDF version for twenty five bucks and stick it on your iPad uh, or your computer, you're just printing out the pages you need anyway and and uh, doing search to go straight to what you need. Yep, exactly. Uh, so I, I think that's the thing I hear about, just the large book, and I think that's not, you know, once you dig into it, it's really not like it's that many rules. It's tables, charts, artwork, and such. Well, we all go back to AD&D, so, I mean, what's the minimum you need? The three core books. Well, here are your three core books in one book, so that's part of it, too. Yes. Right. I, yep. I challenge you, Jim, stack the three core rule books next to the DC RPG book and uh, see, what, see what they look like. Well, it's pretty close. I, I, I don't think I could drop, you know, the monster manual off a building and really hurt anybody, but this would. <laughs> yeah, this certainly would. But like you said, it's got everything you need in it. Like you said, it's got the monsters. It's got judge tips. Uh, you know, it's got all the spells in it. So, you know, like you said, it is 
everything you need to play the game in one book, which it's bound to be a little bigger. So, and and you're, and it's not as though you're going to spend forty dollars on this book and be immediately rewarded with having to uh, buy a bunch of splat books because Joseph Goodman has made a commitment not to publish rules that way, and and for a year now has stuck to it. All the new goodies you get come in the adventure modules. Yeah, and that has been very refreshing, or at least from my perspective. Of this book I bought last year is still the book I need, and not this, you know, feeling the need to purchase more to keep up, which is nice. I just got the wizard book uh, Saturday, the wizard cover book. Oh, did oh, you have the wizard cover? That's awesome. Uh, God bless Todd Bunn at our friendly local game store. He made his role versus distributor inventories and found two sitting in a warehouse somewhere. And I'm like, dude, oh, you mean I can get one for retail? Sign me up. Yeah, anyway, awesome. I, I think we have to go around in a circle and, and just say which book we have. I have two copies, the original and the uh, – I just got the wizard cover book with the Doug Kovacs art on it. Um, I bet somebody here is a proud owner of the really shiny one. I do not own the Why? real shiny one. Yes, I do I not am. own any of the limited editions. I have two copies, a first edition, a first printing and a second printing. Second printing because I wanted the index. Wait, the second, which second printing? What cover's on it? Uh, the normal cover, not one of the limited editions, but the second printings have an index in the back. The, the Wizard the, Special oh. Edition and the second printing of the first uh, original cover both have yes. indexes. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well... And I was surprised uh, the wizard book came with like a art portfolio in it too, like how the original book came with that little module, mini module. Yeah, yeah. I, I cracked open the wizard cover and there was an art portfolio inside. And I'm like, really? Yeah, that's the, that's got the Mac, McDevitt, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, okay, so I am a proud owner of you know the first edition core that everyone's familiar with, and I also have the gold foil, which. I uh, when the gold foils started disappearing and you couldn't get them anywhere. Holy crap! What was that? That was me doing an applause sound very badly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so when when the gold the gold foils started disappearing, I uh, I was you know desperately searching around online trying to find a copy of it because like I got to have this book. So um, um, I, I went to I think it was abbooks.com. Someone had one up there for fifty bucks, which I don't know if you guys know, but it retails for like. 59 I think you know it's 60 bucks so I found one for 50 bucks ordered it it came it was in pretty good condition except there's a little bit it looks like someone like cut the spine sort of like in the front and back because they wanted to lay the wanted the book to lay flat <laughs> what's wrong with people oh my god <laughs> right. yeah that's <laughs> but, but another bound gold foil, foil special foil. edition let's fix that <laughs> Right, yeah. I mean, it's just almost as bad as like people using you know old AD and D stuff as coloring books. Hey, your your D four is a little sharp. Here, let me cut the points off for you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you, you talk about your deal you got on yours. A guy in my group posted uh, one of my local groups posted his message boards that uh, he'd picked up uh, the, the this copy of the book and had this gold foil thing on it at half price books, and he didn't even know it was a limited edition. Oh my god. Yeah, and he had like a twenty percent off coupon on top of it, so he walked out of there for like something like twenty five bucks or something like that with the limited edition. He didn't even know it was limited edition, so I told him that you picked up the limited edition for that because I think he was complaining because the real price what it was like sixty bucks, and I'm like, no, it shouldn't have been that much. And he described the cover, but yeah, half price books with a twenty percent off Man, coupon. He, he managed to score it. He burned some luck for that role. Oh yeah, I haunt, he did. I haunt half price books, and I've never seen that. Yeah, I have not either, and. It, it's yeah, I was insanely jealous. 
Yeah, I, you know, there was like a sea change, like, I don't know, what, maybe eight months ago, where like it seemed like all the DCC RPG stuff started disappearing, you know? Like, I would regularly, I, I used to see uh, the just the basic, like, first printing core rulebook for like $20, $25 on eBay. And uh, I wish I had picked up some more now that they're, they're never that much. Well, see, I love it because it's like it was in the late 70s and early 80s for this game where, you know, people like us are out there evangelizing it and it's sort of catching on as this grassroots thing. I can't believe in 2013 we get to have that experience again because there are, uh, there are a lot of game stores in Cincinnati, but there's two big ones. And the, uh, the big, big, nice, shiny store, it's a great store. I know the owner. I've been going there for years. There's just a different f- a focus on a different set of games there and um the only uh thing close to a regular dungeon crawl classics thing is recall one of the goodman games um playtest dms will run his playtest there but uh rick doesn't have the bandwidth to start a campaign nobody else has done it you know frankly i didn't have the time to start a campaign there so uh last time i checked in the past year he's maybe sold three four copies of the core rule book the store where our campaign takes place that guy got uh our, our DM, our judge, Marcos, to start running the game. And since he's been running that game, he sold 17 copies of the core rulebook and crap ton of the modules. Wow. That's pretty so good. I think, you know, people getting out and sort of, you know, evangelizing and pushing the game is where you're starting to see the buildup happen. It excites me to be a part of something like that. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, we're starting a podcast because we want to contribute to it. So here we are. Yeah. Oh, fair point. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I only see this game getting bigger. I mean, I, I really can't wait, so I'm, I'm excited about it. It's pretty genius. When I read the rules the first time, I'm like, okay, I see what you guys did there. That's good. So, Jim, how long have you lived in Cincinnati? Uh, this trip, uh, about 10 years. I originally grew up in uh, Kentucky. Oh, okay. I think you told me that. About you 100 know, miles down the road. I, I used to live in I, – I spent a summer in Covington. Covington is just across the river? and uh, Yeah. That's uh, where I get my cigars. I got mugged there, but apparently it's it's like all gentrified now. But parts of it are parts of it are still a little rough <laughs> and tumble. And, and actually, I was a busboy at you know that rotating restaurant. Oh yeah, I've been there. Right there. Yeah, yeah, I used to be a busboy there for a summer. Wow, it's a tiny little planet. Well, yeah. I I, I think Cincinnati uh, is like uh, Lake Geneva South because uh, Tim Cask is here. Oh, he lives there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. I, I have house privileges. I, I, I can come in without knocking. <laughs> Although I don't because I know Tim. But... Okay. Right, he'll, kill, he'll kill you like a, like a player character. <laughs> He's killed my player character in his campaign many and uh, convention games many, many times. Although I had survived. He, he ran at CincyCon here a few months ago, back in March, and I survived and got the whole party intact through one of his adventures. And got a little cocky and we had a guy as a good friend of mine james cody who was playing a paladin who decided to sass the evil wizard who had exploding gold coins uh, cursed in our pockets where we couldn't get rid of him and we'd succeeded we came back to him with the thing he sent us out to steal back for him and we were all fine and i don't know what happened james uh, decided to sass tim through this evil wizard npc and got his legs blown off and that wrecked my perfect record but i survived so I've got one one convention Tim Cast convention game I managed to get through alive. If you've ever gamed at Tim's table, that's uh, quite an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played with him, but I've heard the reputation about him. That that must be quite the accomplishment. 
Okay, well, uh, I mean, we're going to have episodes after episodes to uh, continue to talk about the game. Let's move to our next segment, Dungeon Denizens. Go on, boys, chop his head off. Right, silly little speeder. Jesus Christ! My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are like swords. My claws spears. And this will be a section of the show where uh, in normal episodes we'll pick a monster that you can uh, use in your Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign. This being the first one, I thought we'd just go over sort of the Dungeon Crawl Classics monster basics, which uh, the game comes in the in the main rulebook with some uh, very specific advice about how to uh, how to approach. Uh, something that's pretty standard in RPGs now. How, how to how to how to approach it in the flavor of this game? I mean, if you, if you what's your experience been with that, uh, Jeffrey? Um, most of, I mean, pretty much it, things should there should always be some unusual twist about them. It, there should be, be something mysterious. You shouldn't just run into normal orcs. There should be something special about them. I know creatures I've used in games I made up. I feel much more. I don't know. Uh, I tend to make my own creatures from scratch much more. They you can build them pretty quickly, and then your players don't know what to expect when they when they approach them. I, I built a crystal creature golem type thing, and you know they the players never run into something like that. They weren't sure where it was coming from, or, you know what formed it, and then they found out when they killed one, they exploded in shards of crystal just for an added little you know whoa that was different. So I think it helps keep the players on their toes and. uh uh, and I think that's sort of something that the game tries to drive home is make monsters mysterious and unique. Uh, that's been my experience with it. Confound player expectations. Yes. Yeah, Michael Curtis uh, in one of his camp, uh, one of his convention games, chased us across town with every form of undead you can imagine, and we didn't, you in- know, including uh, cows. Yeah, an undead cow. He was very disappointed we did, we ran away from. But uh, <laughs> you heard that story. But it was it was it was a thrill to have. I mean, I just, I can't help it. I've got AD&D Monster Manual hardwired in my brain. Okay, that's a ghast. It's going to do this. That's a white lookout level drain. And we had no idea what these various undead were going to do to us as they chased us across this town. And that's straight from the rule book. I mean, there's actually tables in there for how to juice up your your undead and make them your own and make them unique and mysterious. One of the things I like about uh, about monsters in, in old school games and especially Dungeon Crawl Classics is um, that it's pre- they're pretty easy to design for. I mean, uh, I've written some stuff for, like, 4th edition, like Wizards of the Coast. It, you know, the stat blocks are just so big, it takes a long time to design the monsters, which is fun. But, um, you know, in Dungeon Crawl Classics, you know, in the monster section, there's, I don't know, I think 30-some-odd, 30, 40 monsters uh, that are listed there. There's probably one monster in there that's pretty close to what you want to do already. So, you know, I just just flip it's it's easy to design a monster. Just flip to the book. Look look for one that's, you know, about the power level you want or or that has the ability you want and just start from there and just tweak and twist and, you know, bump up um this save, bump down, you know, fortitude and uh, you know, melee attack uh bonuses. And it's pretty easy to to come up with some some pretty cool monsters. Following the guidelines in the book, you you really want to come up with something unique so it's not you know the uh, it's not 
a minotaur. It's the minotaur. You I know, love that advice in there. Uh, Which, you know, you terrorizing know. the town. Yeah, I love that advice where it's not a dragon; it's the dragon. Make it the dragon. Right, exactly. And you know, it's like your level zero characters are are finally level one, and you know, now it's time. To like, oh, you know, we have these, you know, mighty adventurers now. Maybe you guys could do something about the dragon. Yeah, you know, we've we've talked so much about level zero and level one characters. We probably ought to mention the uh, the way the game is structured. The uh, level progression only goes to ten. So if you like, pick up an adventure that says it's a level five adventure, and you're used to D and D or Pathfinder, you should probably double that number in your head to get a, a rough idea of the power level you're talking about. A first level dungeon crawl classics character is 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 much stronger than a first level character in a average fantasy RPG. Sure. I mean, the, the, in D and D next, like they were calling it bounded accuracy, which is, you know, uh, you know, there's there's a power level that that's um, through through the entire book. Like, you know, DC, a difficulty check of five is going to be easy. Ten is medium. You know, fifteen is um, takes some skill to do, and then twenty is like you know, um, Herculean effort to do. It was in a playtest for Colossus Arise a couple weekends ago, and I hadn't... Oh, yeah. How did that go, Jim? You were telling me about that. Oh, first of all, I... Yeah. I'm, I'm, hang on. I got so excited, I couldn't talk about it. it the adventure <laughs> itself is like very Edgar Rice Burroughs, and you feel like you're in a Ray Harryhausen movie out in these ruins in this desert dealing with uh, these giants. And I, I don't want to get into, like, any more spoiler territory than that, but uh, I, what made me think of it is you were talking about the difficulty checks in Dungeon Crawl Classics, and uh, I had never played a higher than a third level wizard before, and I got cut lo- cut loose with an eighth level wizard. And you get up in those third and fourth level spells, and I, the spell check is much harder to hit. I didn't I didn't know that till I got to the rules. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I over dramatized. The, the 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 scale starts sliding up because you're adding in your level and all your other stuff. The pretense we got. Uh, Rick Hall did such a good job. The pre because in a normal convention game in Dungeon Crawl Classics, everybody spell burns and, and their character to the Stone Age and burns all their luck because you're never going to play the character again. Why wouldn't you? Well, these eighth level pregens all had lucks of like nine and ten and twelve because it was explained to us to get to eighth level, these characters had already done that. And I'm just like, nice one, Rick. Nice. Usually, when I put together my like one shot. Um character sheets, you know, like level one or something, I actually pre-burn their luck down for them so that they can't just go totally nuts. Oh, even at like, lower levels? Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, and your luck score is six. Anyway, I, I think it's due out here in a month or two. Colossus Arise is my favorite adventure I've played so far, and, and going up against Sailors of the Starless Seas, that's quite a kudo in my book. Yeah, that is quite a compliment to go up against that one. Well, Harley is just an amazing writer. Like, I, I I've been a fan of his adventures uh, since uh, you know just Dungeon Crawl Classics adventures. I, I, he's he's got a really great writing style, and um, I just love to read his adventures. Like you know, like most people would read a novel, I just get Harley Stroh's novel uh, adventures and read them. I've I've play tested uh, Michael Curtis's Frozen in Time, and I'll tell you anything you want to know about that off air. Because that one won't be out for a while, but it was a fantastic adventure. The Frozen in Time one? Yeah, yeah, the one where, I mean, the Goodman Games has put the cover up and the players are fighting that crazy robot. Yes, yes, that one. That looks awesome. 
Yeah, it's like caveman or Stone Age and robots or something. That's what the cover looks like. Like I said, I'll, I'll tell you whatever you want to know off <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Mike would shoot me if I blabbed it. Spoilers on air. Well, I didn't get into his Gen Con game, so you can give me the spoilers. He'll probably be running that again this Gen Con. Did, did, you, not, did you not get in it? No. Oh, you mean, you mean I, this I, you remember? Yeah, Gen Con. The, uh, I, I don't know if you're going to Gen Con, Jeffrey, but... Um, the, all the Goodman, uh, all the uh, DCC RPG games sold out in like thirty minutes. Yeah, they went quick. I know I had some friends trying to get in some, and I know from the Goodman boards that it, it was super tough to get into those games. Are, are you going this year, Jeffrey? Yeah, I'm going for at least a couple days. Uh, oh, awesome! So I won't be there the whole time, but I should be there for at least a couple days. Awesome. Well, uh, well if, if if you guys are around, I'll try to squeeze in one of my games. I've actually booked another another game um, for uh, my my mystery map game, the uh, the one who watches from below. I'm sure before Gen Con, they'll they'll finally clear the event and put it on the on the books. Maybe you guys can get in one of those games. Well, what I want to say is, uh, well, unknown to listeners of this episode, we uh, recorded a a pilot episode that uh, will never see the light of day because we're uh, still you know. That's why you do pilot episodes, so you can work out all the uh, details. But uh, Mike Curtis was on that pilot episode, and we'll have him back on the show later. And uh, so, I mean, you you know Mike now. I don't think he would – I mean, you, sh- you should just email him. Hey, do you mind if I sit in on that game? I bet he'd let you do that. He's pretty great that way. Yeah, you know, actually, I, my, my game hasn't booked yet. So, like, I put six players. I think I'm going to go back and change it to max five so that I can, like, get a, get a buddy in if they want to play. Mike is crazy. I saw him run one session of Frozen in Time at Gary Con where there were like 13 players. They were in a ring around him. Wow. <laughs> he was, you know, I, I, I had already played that game at uh, CincyCon, so I didn't sign up for it at Gary Con. But uh, as I wandered in to see how the, his, this table of guys were doing with the adventure, they had uh, you know folded cards with their character name on it so everybody knew who everybody was and there was this sort of elephant graveyard arranged around his gm screen of everybody who had died it was like the player character the level zero graveyard (laughs) it was awesome okay i didn't mean to ramble on okay and uh, i think that probably wraps it up for uh monster basics and tentacle classics let's go to our final segment patron bond who are you your new lord and master. What orders from Mordor, my lord? Oh, don't grovel. One thing I can't stand is people groveling. Patron Bond. And this is the part of the show where we're just, uh, when we're reviewing a product, we'll sort of sum up and talk about, you know, how we feel about what we've talked about. And uh, if it's a guest, we'll uh, do the same thing. Uh, since this is the introductory episode and we've just talked about the game in general, uh, how about, okay, I'm sold. I want to play this game. Where do I buy it? How do I get it? What, what, what are the versions of it I can get, which we kind of touched on? I mean, the versions you've got, you've got your, your original book, uh, the first printing, and then they have the limited editions, which they, uh, they're up to three now, limited editions. Right, and you the, can buy the Jeff Easley cover one is coming out later this month. Yes. So there's the limited editions, but all you need to play the game is the the basic book, which it has a, a door with a like a head on it, and then a, a person with a staff and a sword on the front. Um, 
it's one probably seen most often. That's all you really need to play the game. Uh, I was able to get one of my copies was ordered online. One of mine was bought from the local gaming store here in Columbus. Uh, and then there's always, for people that prefer the tablets, PDF versions. You can buy those, which are pretty handy because, like I said, you can print the spells off from that point. But Yeah, I think eventually I'll have to get the PDF version too just to have it handy on a tablet for searching in the middle of the game. Yeah, it's pretty handy that way. Our GM beats that version up as he's as he's actually running the game pretty good. I, I got pretty lucky because uh, you know I pre-ordered before the the first book came out, and uh, at that time, if you were pre-ordering, you got the PDF for free. Oh, lucky! Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. But uh, if, if if it's an option for you and you're thinking about the game, by all means, uh, start with your friendly local game store and support that guy. Because yeah. Goodman Games will get their cut of that too. Oh yeah, definitely. I try to order everything through through my my local game store. Um, I mean, you're not going to get it right to your door. It's not as fast, but you know, you're supporting your local game store. It doesn't cost you anything different. You know, maybe the time to go down there. But you know, who doesn't like to go to the game store? I, I love it. Definitely worth supporting the store. It's where I got my second copy from. And if you just uh, Google image search this, you'll see the the various covers the th- the the original cover, the two special editions, and then the the uh, good 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 luck finding one. And, and God love you if you do the gold foil cover. Well, you know this month is the the month of the easily cover, and uh, you know we should probably also mention this. I don't know if this is the best segment too, but you know it's uh, June is Free RPG uh, Day month. So uh, what is that? Somewhere around. Mid-month, they have Free RPG Day. June 15th, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And uh, Goodman Games actually has an offer. If you, um, I, I don't know if you guys got the email, but if you order two Goodman Games products in June, you can also pick up uh, Well of the Worm, which was a, uh, I think it was a 3-5 uh, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics Adventure um, that they've converted to DCC RPG. It's nine ninety nine. And you can only order it if you if you buy two products this month, or even just pre-order future products. You get that limited edition module along oh, with it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the free RPG. So adventure. I don't know if you saw the cover. Uh, yeah, if you see the cover of the uh, the uh, the Well of the Worm, but I, I don't know who did that. But it, it's pretty cool. It's not it's not Kovacs, I don't think. I think that's uh, Jim Rosloff's uh, cover art for the original version of the. The prior version of it. It's really oh, nice really? piece. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. It's it's got a old school vibe and um it's you know primitive and awesome at this all at the same time. Okay, so you can get it online uh uh and uh from Goodman Games, your friendly local game store, and uh <laughs> if you're very lucky, sometimes at half price books, right? <laughs> Oh, and the other thing for all the, the, the judges out there, if you uh, schedule a game like for, for the World Tour in the month of June, you can download a Michael Curtis adventure for free. Um, the Tower Out of Time. Yeah, The Tower Out of Time. There you go. And uh, it's got a cool Kovacs cover on it, too, so it looks really cool. Mike's pretty good with the, uh, the uh, old school homages, let's say. He's got a good feel for the flavor of the day, even though he's, uh, well, I was going to say our age. He's probably your age. How old are you, anyway? Can we talk about <laughs> yeah, that? I'm not on the air, sir. Okay. Well, I was a teenager when I started in 79, so that'll tell you something. Okay, well, 
on that awkward note, I think that does it for <laughs> I think that does it for this episode. Uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Um, this is the first episode. By the time this goes up, I'm sure there'll be a couple more. Um, and uh, we hope you come back and listen for more. And I'd like to thank my co-hosts and thank you for listening. I'm really excited about this podcast, and uh, thanks, guys. We're going to kick some dice. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good time. It was fun. Okay, we'll see you next time. Bye.